the main factor was that whenever I went went to a training, had a training session, uh, I focused on it. I, I had a purpose for that single training session. That triathlon show, one hundred and fifty. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and today's episode is another case study, this time with my compatriot, Petri Karvinen from Finland. But first, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. They help you get hydrated and stay hydrated. And even though summer is now uh, long, long gone in most of Northern Europe, I'm lucky that we still have uh, very warm and nice weather here in Portugal. Uh, but uh, anyways, most of the listeners are probably sooner or later moving to training indoors again a lot, like on the bike, on the turbo trainer. And uh, even though uh, you may think that, okay, it's winter, I don't need to focus on hydration. Actually, if you look at the size of the sweat pool below you on uh, the bike trainer, then you can see that you're sweating a lot. And if you're your sweat sodium content is high then you're losing a lot of sodium and that needs to be replaced or otherwise you're compromising performance so check out precision hydration's uh, content on their blog for example and their free online sweat test to learn all about that what you need to know about electrolytes performance cramping and electrolyte replacement and if you haven't already get your first box of electrolytes for free with the promo code that triathlon show all one word all caps on precisionhydration.com and warm welcome back to Stack. Stack Performance is back as a sponsor and uh, I've been in touch with Andrew throughout this period since we first connected around his first podcast uh, appearance on the show. Stack has been a previous sponsor as well and uh, now they're back and a lot of things have been going on. Most important of which is probably their new Halcyon Smart Trainer that has just launched two great reviews. I'm eagerly awaiting mine as well. If you aren't aware, one of the main benefits of Stax trainers, all of their models, not just this new Halcyon Smart Trainer, is that they are completely silent. So you can watch Netflix, uh, listen to a podcast like this, an audiobook or music, whatever you like while you're training. And uh, the noise from that you would typically have from a lot of trainers would not disturb you while doing that. In addition, with uh, depending on the model you choose, you have a built-in power meter that is uh, very accurate. And just generally speaking, you get basically all of the real high-end expensive trainer features of uh, other brands, but uh, Stack's pricing is uh, considerably cheaper compared to the competitors in, uh, in the same feature category. And that's not the only thing. You can get 20% off that already really good price with the discount code TTS20, that's TTS20, on checkout at uh, stackzero.com when you order your trainer, any of their models. All right, so let's dive into the interview with Petri where we talk about how he trained for Challenge Rove to uh, go 10.30, which is a very good time for an Ironman distance race at on 10 hours of training per week or so. He had a 
a stretch goal of going 10 hours or sub 10 hours he didn't quite achieve that but 10 30 is still a very very good time so let's hear more about that and uh, also we'll hear how he used the virtual wind tunnel with me i provided the virtual wind tunnel service for him to optimize his aerodynamics so uh, that's a teaser for you to listen through to the end all right let's dive in Today's guest on that triathlon show is uh, Petri Karvinen from Finland. This is another case study. Petri, welcome to that triathlon show. Thank you. Fun to be here. It's uh, great to talk to you again. We've met once and uh, we've interacted through email and that sort of thing before, but uh, we actually met in the part of Finland where I come from originally for a training event that I had there. So, so it's great to now bring you on the podcast for this interview that we decided that we would do after you complete challenge row which was your main goal for the season and that's what we'll talk about a bit in this case study but first can you tell us briefly about yourself and your life like what's your career what's your family life and uh, that sort of thing like yeah uh, i'm 37 years old uh, i have a wife and a two-year-old daughter and uh, as my career choice, I've been drifting into sales since I've been doing that for pretty much since I was eight. So now I'm trying to work the puzzle of stopping shop- shoplifting in the world with a Finnish tech solution. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a noble, noble mission. Uh, so when and how did you get into triathlon? Uh, do you want the short version or the longer one and a do, do half have, minute version? Do you have a medium version? <laughs> I have a medium version. Yeah, uh, the, it all started when my friend Tommy lost a game uh, in the board game Risk. If you know that one, yes, yes. So he had to he had to do the Pirkan Hito, which is cross country skiing in Finland. And how and, long is uh, that? That's ninety kilometers with a, the, the traditional style. And uh, he lost the game Risk, so he had to do the skiing. And he doesn't ski, and he never practiced skiing, and that winter i remember being a very bad winter and uh since he finished it a lot of people had to do it the next year i never made it that far but since it kept kept escalating until august 2010 when they realized that okay they're gonna do a half triathlon and uh, i signed up without knowing actually where i signed up for and i remember saying that okay i can do the swimming and the running but there's no way i'm going to cycle for 45 k's which basically pretty much tells how much i knew about triathlon i thought that this distance was half what i was planning to do <laughs> so yeah from there and i yes and i finished my try uh, my first triathlon was a half triathlon in in Joroinen in 2011 so and you, you, I'm still stuck. And you did, you did manage to finish it. What, what were your thoughts like when you when you finished it? And did, were you immediately hooked, or did you think never again? But then got around to it. No, I think I, I think I was immediately hooked. My first race was, I think, one of my best races. I finished in five eighteen in that year, or five twenty. That, that's a great first half Ironman. How much did you train for that? Uh, that ten months. Basically, I started from pretty much zero. I had never, I had never cycled, and I had done some running due, due to my previous bad football career. But no, so I, I had to start from scratch, basically. Mm. And uh, 
so since then, uh, it reminded me, what year was that again? Uh, that was 2011. Okay, so seven seven years ago. And since then, how yes. how has your triathlon career progressed? How how have you moved up uh, to faster times, moved up the distance? Give us a brief overview of, of this. Uh, slowly and easy, because uh, 2012 and 2013 were basically leap years. I did, I think, one or two half triathlons in that period, but... I basically stopped training after Joroinen or stopped training as hard as I did for Joroinen. But uh, I still like the sport, even though my, my time was getting worse. But in 2013, I realized that since I enjoyed this enough, so I'll kick it up again. And then I signed up for a full distance triathlon in Sweden, Kalmar, for 2014. And uh, about that, I just have to say that if you're planning on doing a full triathlon, do it on on purpose, not just to try it. And I, I tried it out. It was a bad idea. It hurt a lot. But I finished it. So, What do you mean when you say that you tried it out? I, I guess, I, I mean, I get, know that that means that you didn't really I, train train a lot for it. But what? The, how much did you did you train for it? Uh, I don't have the exact stats for, from that period, but looking at my stats in that area i think i trained about four hours a week for a full distance so i i'm pretty happy to say i i came in under prepared yeah at least okay <laughs> so uh, after that what uh what did you move on to uh after that uh i signed up for a couple of bike races since my friends were going to this autrude competition in the alps and the pyrenees and the, the italian alps what were they called Oh, whatever. Dolomites. So I signed up for yeah, Dolomites. Yes. So I signed up for 2015. I went for the Autrude in uh, Pyrenees, which is basically a week long bike race covering about a thousand kilometers, but covering up to 21 kilometers in height, so or in elevation. So that was a lot different cycling that I was that I what I'm used to here at home. And uh, that was so much fun that I decided to do it again in the French Alps in 2016. And after that, it's been on and off going to different triathlon races every now and then, at least once a year, at least. And this year, yeah. By the way, I need to to talk about the the Dolomites here. I just got back from a week in the Dolomites, or a week in Italy with the three or four days in the Dolomites and cycling a lot. And it is the most stunning place that I've ever been to. And uh, they have this uh, this uh, cycling road cycling race that's called the uh, Maratona delle Dolomiti. And uh, once I heard about yeah. it, I I knew that this is something that I have to do. So. It's very high up on my bucket list of races to do one day. But uh, yeah, so I can completely understand how you got into the Autrut races and, and that kind of, of cycling because it's uh, it's very fun and very different from what we are used to because in southern Finland, where we both come from, it's yeah very flat. So not something to yes. do. Anyway. Yeah, my first, my, first basic, my first real uphill was the first uphill that, I, that we started in the, in the Pyrenees. Yeah, and then I really started wondering what the hell have I signed up for? <laughs> yeah, I, it was I, the first, and there were twenty more to go. Totally understand. So this year, your big goal was uh, the Challenge Rove, which is a legendary race in Germany, and uh, it's known for fast for being a fast race and a very big race with very very passionate 
audience. Uh, so another bucket list race for for many, for sure. What uh, were your goals going into it, and when did you start preparing for it? Uh, I didn't set a specific time goal for this one. I just knew that I wanted to uh, finish it better and happier than I did with the Ironman Kalmar race. But uh, so I started a project uh, in the end of August last year. Since basically, since my off season was basically last August when I was sick during during almost whole of august so then i started training for it systematically in the end of august and my goal was well i was aiming for anything between 10 and 10 and a half hours in that time but i had no idea how realistic it was and i was planning so that i'll do the training and i'll see how my level sets and then i'll start preparing for a more detailed so ju- just race. just to give a point of reference, what was your time in in Kalmar that you just trained for four hours per week? And it was, yeah, uh, it was twelve hours. Okay. Okay, so go go on with the uh, the process yeah. training for Roth. Yes, and uh, for Roth, I just pretty much had to come up with the fundamentals I I need to do since I knew that uh, I couldn't train that much as you've been talking in the show for training 15 hours a week i knew that that was going to be impossible i was aiming for closer to 10 and uh i knew that if i have this much time it, i need to make it count so that's where i needed to start from yeah that, that's uh, that's something that that i think is worth pointing out here that uh that is a very good uh order of doing things like you need to know as a as an athlete how much time do you realistically have available to you and then make the most of that time uh, with obviously taking into account what your goal race is but you can't plan for doing 15 hours per week if you will only have 10 hours per week because then 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 you're not going to be able to to, you're going to plan for something that is not possible for you to to execute and then you will become very haphazard so it's much better to be realistic from the start and then plan optimally for what whatever time you have available so so that's a yeah. very good approach so yes yeah, so i started with meeting with my friend thank you tatu if you're listening to this and uh, we went through what needs to be done in in order to finish the race probably and like have a healthy good training session session 10 hour, 10 months that i had for the race and uh, so we created this pretty vague, bl- vague yearly plan on what, what I need to do. And, uh, and my second step was to get another fundamental going on since I knew that my lower back was hurting when I ran. So I started with a physiotherapist and uh, I went to talk to them, see what needs to be done. And uh, we went through to prevent any kind of injuries regarding running. And uh, the... Yep. What 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 kind of uh, interventions did you did you end up doing based on that meeting the physiotherapist? Well, the physiotherapist uh, he had a look in look at my running, and we well he noticed that there's a problem with my hip basically when I run, so my hip sinks in a way when I run, and uh, we tested it's not a problem of strength uh, strength since I had pretty strong hips apparently, but I had no way. I, I was just using it wrong. So I had to keep doing the, the exercises that strengthen the hip in the right manner 
So Le- I learn, learn, to, learn to activate the hips basically in, yes. in the right movement patterns in, in the running. Okay. Yes. So it was that fault to start from. And uh, the next part that I had to make sure was that I didn't want to get sick during the whole training period. So the only way I found were, of course, I needed to start planning my sleep since that's where I started my training from. And then I found this idea of cold exposure. So I started taking a cold, very cold shower every morning for a minute or two to prevent me from getting sick. I don't know. It was magical. It was science, but never got sick during the process. So in that way, the fundamentals went right. That's uh, So let me stop you there and uh, highlight some key things. I think these are really 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 good uh, good things that you that you did and visiting the physio even if you wouldn't have had a problem with uh, with your hip or with your sorry with your lower back when running i think any any athlete starting a let's say a training campaign for a big goal or just getting getting to do a yearly checkup with a physio is should be required almost because you you want to prevent injuries you don't want to treat injuries once they already happened and become worse and worse so and i think this is something that a lot of athletes overlook getting getting to see a good physio that has the knowledge the experience with endurance athletes about their problems and their requirements so so that's uh, one thing that i want to highlight that uh, that was brilliant to do to make sure that you can can do the training required to to do a good race almost a year later and then also focusing on on sleep and uh, and preventing illnesses another very very smart choice and and looking at like the big picture and uh, understanding that that keeping healthy and doing all the training week in week out is one of the biggest levers of performance gains that you can have so so I really like that that approach it's very smart were there anything left with the fundamentals that you wanted to mention yeah regarding the sleeping uh is was one of my main points when I started since of course having a two-year-old kid at home might affect that and it does affect that but uh, I made sure as much as I could that I could, could get the adequate amount of sleep and then I started to see how much I can train after the good night's sleep so and I noticed that if if I negotiated too much with myself about that amount of sleep it ruined the practice next day so it was a pretty short lesson it's funny because just yesterday i did another age group case study interview that will be released already when the listeners listen to this interview that one was with ian haken and he mentioned sleep as one of his main focus areas as well for in his quest of qualifying for kona and it's uh, it can't be overstated how important that sleep really is uh, so no it, it's it that yeah it doesn't help if you have to train if you have to start training at 6 a.m but you haven't slept so the training is going to be bad anyway so yeah uh, so uh, i'd rather sleep than do a back, bad practice session exactly yeah and then come back uh, well rested and and do it maybe skip one session that you had planned and and do the sessions that you yes, have exactly. time for well instead of doing everything half-ass because you didn't get the sleep that you required so that for the training itself, what did it look like? What was like the big picture periodization, if you will, for, for the ROF preparation? Yeah, I had a I had a yearly calendar. Basically they divided in three at this point. Oh sorry, four. The first part was in the autumn, 
what what do I need to do in the between August and maybe December? And then what what do I do in the winter? What do I do in the spring? And the last month for my my training. And uh, basically, it was as simple as possible. the The fall was meant for basically just strength training, so I did a lot of gym work. And since that was something I was lacking for a couple of years, or actually even four, five years, and uh, I did a lot of stair running. So I started my my running program, or I started to increase it with by having at least one stair running session a week, which included a lot of stairs here in Turku. And what would a stair running workout look like? Can you give an example of that? Uh, I had the, I had the same route here in Turku for pretty much every week. There's I think there's about 600 steps on that route, and it's nine and a half kilometers only. So there's a lot of lot of elevation regarding that. I took it easy, so I didn't I didn't go full speed with on the stairs, but uh, I knew that there were enough stairs to make it hurt. So it, my legs so it's it's essentially a muscular endurance workout that is uh one of the key factors for long course triathlon i guess yes okay and in the winter as when i could go cycling i did a lot of low cadence practice as well yeah during the, the cycling and for the gym work that you did uh, what uh, sort of uh, strength training did you do well since i was starting from my five four or five year hiatus i need to start from scratch but basically i was aiming for the uh low rep high weights kind of situation and i was doing it so that uh, i had the gym session uh twice a week for the fall and in the end of december i think was so that i cut it down to one session a week since i started increasing running and running and cycling then yeah yeah, you, you've been listening to the podcast, obviously, because I, maybe you would have done that anyway. But uh, that's exactly the kind of approach that that we've been talking. Yes, about. I cannot say. Yes, I cannot say I haven't got any ideas. And I actually started listening to this podcast series from the strength training uh, episode that we had, number fifty. Okay, <laughs> that's a funny coincidence. <laughs> uh, so, so then uh, in winter when you started ramping up the the training a bit, what uh, what did it, that look like? Uh, in the winter, the the focus was on power so on on the trainer i had a lot of vo2 max or sweet spot exercises and uh, i was supposed to run do little harder intervals with running but then it the winter turned out pr- to be pretty cold so i had to cut down on that a bit since i couldn't do that those exercises outside you don't want to kill yourself with interval running when it's minus 15 or minus 20 yeah a treadmill but, uh, would have been a good option there, maybe. But, uh, but treadmill would have been a good option, but then again, I hate I hate running inside, so yeah, that was a bit of a choice that I had to make there. Yeah, and and for the swim, uh, what uh, role did that play? Uh, in the swim, I I did I think I did way too little swimming, or at least I thought it for the whole year until I broke my swimming record, but. Uh, uh, I only had a one. I only had one session a week regarding swimming. It was a train. Uh, we had a coach in the session, so it was a very effective one. But then again, it was only Monday nights that I gave up to swimming. So, not very much. But still, I yeah. could do the swim in in an hour and five. 
So not bad. Not bad at all. And and we, I saw you swim at the training event, and uh, it was very impressive swimming for somebody who had only been swimming once per week. I I didn't realize that it was that little that you had been swimming. Although we talked a little bit about about it, I think. But uh, yeah, you're you definitely have. Would you if you would swim more, you could be a really good swimmer, I think. But it was already already a good, very good result. And and with your time budget, maybe the best thing to do in in that scenario to focus more on the on the bike. Yes, and, and I, uh, it was also a, a fixed decision that i knew that if i put more time on the swimming i knew that i could cut some time out of the swimming but if i put the same time in running or cycling i knew that the effect in the whole picture would be a bit bigger a bit bigger yeah. with cycling and running so more, more more return on investment yes okay so and then moving into into spring into the next period what did you do then uh th- then i started doing a lot more brick training so cycling and running together and uh, focusing more on the race pace with longer runs and longer uh, bike trainings. I did. I Can basically basically ran a half marathon every single Saturday for the whole session. So there was that one element. But I started increasing the the length of the other running sessions as well. Mm. So for this period, when you're getting closer to the race and you're still doing it on your time budget of at most 10 hours per week usually can you give an example of what your entire training week might look like so other listeners in your situation with limited time can get an idea okay uh yeah in the spring uh the regular week was i had a gym session on monday mornings before work and i had the the swim practice on monday evenings after work so i could get stopped by at home and then leave for another practice uh, on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I usually had a run or a bike session that was a bit faster pace, so I could do a little uh, sweet spot work on the bike or have some intervals, intervals or faster running on those days. So then, then I could stress out a bit more, even though I had limited amount of time to use. And uh, Thursdays was another run or cycling session, depending on the work week. Friday, I usually had off, so there was nothing planned. And on Saturdays and Sundays, I had a long run and a long bike. So, in, and how how long were those roughly? Uh, the long run was usually between hour and a half, between two hours and fifteen, depending on the on the week. And the long bike would be anything from two and a half hours to six hours. I didn't do I didn't do many six hour sessions on the bike. I have to confess, but yeah. that was the plan. What was the most common or the average length for your long rides when you were getting closer to your race? Was it three hours, four hours, or uh, it was yeah three ish th- between three and three and a half uh, between three and four hours? So it and, was usually hundred hundred k ish. And in those rides, did you include? race intensity or quality work even harder intervals or was it just uh time in the saddle how did you how did you do that and same question for the run really the long run yeah uh, in the in the longer runs i basically ran for race tempo all the way so yeah i don't know if that w- that was a good idea or a bad idea but i decided that i need to get comfortable with this anyway so might as well yeah. run it as long as i could recover from it and uh, on the bike sessions i t- most of the part i took it easier but there was usually an hour between one and between one and two hours of race intensity 
yes okay and uh and then in the last in summer or the last few let's call it the last eight weeks or so did you did anything change or was this like the basic stru- structure all the way almost leading up into no this was basically the, the structure all the way i gave up gym work uh in the start of may so two two weeks before the race months and uh two months, two months. yeah yeah uh, yes and uh i started focusing or i did a bit more of those very long sessions that got me used to the long runs and long brick works and my I think my longest training session was seven and a half hours. So And uh, I, st- I started putting those into the calendar. Yeah. So so then when you were getting closer to the race, what what was your race goal? Had it changed from the ten to ten and a half hours or was that still the target? And how no, did that you was feel when I, about it? Yes, that was when I started having it considering it a realistic plan between ten and a ten and ten and a half hours nothing went wrong. Basically, that I didn't have a fixed time schedule. I thought that if on a good day, on a normal day, I would reach probably 10 hours and 15 minutes. If something went a bit wrong that I couldn't foresee with this experience, it would be around 10.30. And if everything went smoothly and perfectly and even better than I expected, I would be closer to 10 hours. So, And how did it go? It, uh, I think it, it was my lack of experience that killed my running a little since I started way too eagerly on the run, and uh, it had to, I had to slow down on the run. So I think I could have cut down maybe fifteen minutes on the run if I had done done it properly. And I for, basically forgot to eat during the run. I don't know why that happened. But yes, the total time was ten and a half hours. So I'm not going to say I'm uh, unhappy about the result, but I know there's room for improvement. So guess I'll have to do it again someday. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a. Uh, very respectable time for anybody and especially for somebody who is doing it on a limited uh, a low volume training approach when when we talk about ironman training so and which is one of the main reasons that uh, that that i thought and that we we discussed about having this interview in the first place so to to describe a case study of yes what you've been talking in the show is that you need to train for 15 ish hours a week and i was like okay i'm training eight hours a week what do i what am i doing wrong since my running and my cycling and everything was going smoothly and i felt fine with it so i i don't know if i've been talking about that sometimes we have examples with 15 hour weeks but uh, but i think you you can only train the amount of hours the amount of hours that you have available uh, though so that's true so, yeah. so i i disagree with that i've been talking about <laughs> having to train 15 hours i, I yeah maybe don't. maybe i was just getting the picture that everybody well it might be might have been also a picture of the purple batch podcast that i listen to regular as well so that they when they have guests they tend to work a lot more than i do on the on the yeah yeah i i usually ask for examples if if it's about ironman training and when i ask for typical training weeks from coaches for example i i ask for examples in the 10 to 15 hour range because that's quite normal for most people but uh, you can only train for as much time as you have available and it's definitely possible to train for an ironman on on 10 hours so so i, I don't think that there's the, the the question isn't about how many hours do you need to train the question is is how many hours do you have available for training and then doing the most of out of those hours so yes and the, the, the less you have the the more emphasis you have to put on the put on the exercise themselves you have to focus and you have to make it count since i didn't have time for a slack slack hours in that eight hours that i had 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so what so what do you think are some of the the key factors in your approach that, uh, that you've, we talked about a few of them already? But are, are there any other things that made this approach still uh, enable you to do a, a very good time at Rove? Why, why do you think it it worked well? What were the key factors? Uh, I think the the main factor was that whenever I went went to a training had a training session uh i focused on it and i had a purpose for that single training session i knew that quite a few times on when i started my new job in january so when i went to the gym gym in the morning had a, a day at the office and went swimming in the evening i actually did it even so that i went just went to the pool decided that okay tonight is not the night that i need to swim since I, I knew that I couldn't concentrate it on the level that I found reasonable. So then I just went home. And as long as I knew that I can concentrate on this particular session, I know it's going to be a good one if I have planned it or I knew what the purpose of the session is. So mm, That's a very, very good takeaway. It, and, and anything else to, to add? Any other factors? Uh, no, not quite. I think the less time you have the more you have the less you have slack in your training so make it make it count and so what do you think what do you think are some some common mistakes that uh, age group athletes uh, and especially those self-coached make uh, that uh, prevent them from going faster when when there is a limited time budget for them to work with uh, i think the biggest wisdom that i've heard about going faster is that you need to go faster in a in order to go faster so there's a lot of this very low intensity work during the week which needs to be needs to be there like you said it's got to be at least 80 percent but that the rest of that time you need to check up the intensity to get your uh, physical adaptation go you'll never go slow all the time on in the training sessions yeah, and and depending on how much you train, like that eighty percent rule may go out the window. Really, yeah. I I don't use it all the time when I do training programs. For if people have, let's say, eight hours per week to train, I definitely don't follow the eighty twenty principle in most of those cases. I might do for the run specifically because that's where there is the most risk. Yeah. But definitely not on the bike. Absolutely not on the swim. I actually started counting. Uh, so, I think you had an episode about that in April. And yeah, I, I started yeah. putting my zone my zones into time slots, and I noticed that I'm, I'm on my zone one and my zone two. I'm training that eighty percent pretty much exactly every week. Mm, yeah, yeah. And uh, going up. That's to, interesting. Yeah, yeah. And going up to zone three and zone four and zone five, they they were divided in the rest of the twenty percent. Okay. Yeah. And. Uh, Finally, uh, what uh, we we had uh, another session on the same event day. We had a virtual wind tunnel session in addition to the training that we did, the swim, biking, and running. And so, yeah. people that are interested in the virtual wind tunnel should go and listen to my interview with Andrew Buckroll in episode forty something. I'll link to it in the show notes. I'll also link to my website where I have a description of that. But just briefly, can you give an overview of what you learned through that, and and if you managed to use it and uh, and benefit from it in your in in your cycling? Yeah, I did. I did use it, and uh, the first thing I thing I did was I got rid of the water bottles behind my back, since it seemed to be a 
bit of a constraint in my my wind channel results. So I moved all the all, all the bottles to the to the front between my hands. So I have a uh, I have a bottle so I can drink straight out of between my hands and right after that bottle is another filling up bottle. So I didn't need to reach behind my back for the bottles anymore. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my position changed a bit since the recommendation in the virtual wind channel was that I need to have this praying mantis position. I I tried a couple of positions. I couldn't I couldn't make the change as hard as they probably suggested, since it started hurting my in my thighs if I if the angle yeah. was too aggressive. But uh, I took it up a bit, and uh, yeah, I'm happy with the position, and uh, I'm happy with how my cycling kind of went or well, i'm kind of happy how my cycling went i cannot pl- blame the position but the but the wind do you remember what the predicted the estimated what savings were for those things that you made yeah it was a lot i think it was the uh, the prey mantis position was up to like four percent even so basically the whole setup if i changed it, it would be between 10 and 10 and 15 watts which is quite a lot when my race watts were 220 watts for the whole race yeah yeah that's uh, that's very significant yeah uh, one final question before the rapid fire questions what tips can you share around time management and fitting in training around the rest of your life uh definitely use your commute since well if i if i want to work by car it would it would take me about 35 40 minutes a day but now that I'm running or cycling to work, I can li- at least use that. And if I leave earlier, of course, I can do a session in the morning just coming to work. That's definitely the one. That's a good one. Yeah. And uh, Anything else? Yeah. Uh, like you've been saying in the, in the podcast, use your mornings since, well, since I have a kid at home and uh, I, wanna, I don't want to be out all evenings. So I did pretty much all my sessions during the morning before anybody else was awake so yeah just making sure that i got enough sleep to do it so didn't want to risk sleep there okay so let's wrap up with the rapid fire questions that uh, you know i'm sure the first one is what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon i'm gonna say something nobody else has said so so far so it's uh, a book from anders erikson called peak and uh, it's not specifically about triathlon, but it's about training and uh, how world-class performers train. He's been studying training for the last 40 years. And uh, it's a mind-blowingly good book. Definitely recommend it. I've read it twice, and I'm I'm going to go through it a third time. That's a, that's a great one. Yeah, I always enjoy hearing new suggestions. And he's the, he's the, the man behind the, the 10,000-hour rule, isn't he? Yes. Yes, he's yeah. the one who came up with it, and Malcolm Gladwell was the one who made it popular. Oh, so popularized it. Yeah. You can you can blame Ericsson for the the idea. Yeah. And what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Definitely my my Infocrank power meter. Since I didn't buy a new bike this year, since the Infocrank didn't fit on the new <laughs> the new model, so uh, it's a power meter that i can change between my bikes and i I wouldn't do without yeah and what do you wish you had known or wish you had done differently at some point in your triathlon journey 
this was a hard one. I'm going to say nothing. <laughs> I've, been, I've been enjoying the whole seven-year triathlon career that I have had, and uh, it hasn't been as progressive maybe as somebody else would have wished it to be, but it's been progressive enough, and I've been enjoying it all the way, so I'm I'm going to say I've done it perfectly as suitable for me. That's a great, that's a great answer. No regrets. Okay, uh, Petri, it was a real pleasure having you on the show. And uh, are there, do you have any Twitter or social media that uh, Instagram that people can follow you on? And do you post triathlon things there or? Well, I post occasional triathlon thing, things in Finnish in on Twitter. It's Petri Karvinen. So, so the Finnish listeners can, can look me up. at least can go and yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you so or much. Or if the English if if the English versions want to start learning Finnish, then it's PT Karvinen. So. Oh, trust me, I don't yeah. recommend that. <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah, pointless as well. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thanks, Michael. Cheers. So there you have it. I have to admit that as I record this uh, conclusion and the intro as well, it's been quite some time since uh, we did the interview with Petri, so I don't quite recall all of the things that uh, were my main takeaways at the moment, and I forgot to take notes of that, which I usually do right away. I do think that the one, or I do know that the one thing that I paid attention to that I still remember very clearly is that Petri had a strong focus on staying healthy throughout the training cycle and getting quality sleep, quality recovery, quality nutrition. And uh, that, I think, is as good a takeaway as any. Uh, If you are training 10 hours per week, you can definitely do that and do an iron distance race and do very well. Uh, But if you do that and uh, you're not top class in your sleep habits, your nutrition habits, then it becomes much more difficult than, uh, than if you actually have top class habits outside of your training. As usual, you can find the show notes for this episode on thattriathlonshow.com. Any questions or comments, leave them there. And uh, thank you so much for everybody who has been emailing in, telling me how you're spreading the word about the podcast and uh, rating and reviewing. I really, really appreciate it, guys. Uh, This, I can't thank you enough. I'm so grateful for you. Uh, Just for the sake of being listeners, that is uh, something that I do not take for granted, but... When you spread the word, when you rate and review, that's even better. And uh, yeah, I'm full of gratitude for that. So thank you. And uh, also thank you for all the questions that are coming in for the Q&A episodes. I've had some good feedback on the first couple of them already. And uh, I'm so happy that it provides an outlet for me to directly help some athletes uh, outside of those that I coach directly. It's a big win-win. And uh Of course, if you want to send in your questions, do so to my email, michael at scientifictriathlon.com, and that's Michael with a K. Put a good subject line so I don't lose it, like podcast question, listener question, something like that. Big thanks to our sponsors that uh, keep this show going. First, we have Stack that you can find on stackzero.com or just click the link in the description. Uh, Stack produces the world's quietest bike trainers, no noise and also no tire wear, which is an important benefit because you have those magnets rather than a flywheel or something like that to provide resistance. It is also very much a portable and affordable trainer, and even more so when you use the discount code TTS20 for 20% off on any of the stack models. 
And big thanks to Precision Hydration that you can find at precisionhydration.com. Uh, click through in the episode description to get your individualized hydration strategy for your next race. Uh, that's uh, their free online sweat test, which consists of just 10 simple questions in a quiz form that you can answer very easily without any prior knowledge. And that will give you a very good estimate of what your sweat sodium content might be and what your sweat rate might be. Based on that, you will get your hydration strategy. And if you want to get your first box for free, use the promo code that triathlon show, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon. <laughs>